you know, and I, and I told you in the email, if you didn't get it, you'll hear a little bit here, but we're looking at four properties, so we need to be, you help me pray about that. We're looking at four properties. What I mean is we're speaking to people. We're not just driving by and saying, hey, I look at that one. We're talking to people at four properties, okay? And, and let me just tell you real quick before getting into this message, because this is part of it, is uh, how we're praying, okay? This, this is how this whole thing is working, okay? This is, this is how all this is happening. I mean, we started with prayer. And then we started searching. We started asking God. And, and then we prayed some more. Okay? And we pray about our search because God show us. And then we research and we start looking at, you know, the individual properties, you know, and where they're located, how much it costs to do this and that. Every one of them is going to need to be a little different, you know, some remodeling to, to make it fit who we are somewhat, but some a lot more than others. So we're researching, doing all that, and covering that in prayer also. Because, you know, here's what I know. I know I can find out the history on any property out there. And I, I know the history of this church. But God knows the future. He knows the future of those pieces of property. He knows the future of this church. And he knows the future of the economy and all those other things. That's why we cover all that in prayer. And then the negotiations, and we're about the place of starting negotiations, and hopefully, you know, God's going to weed some of this down. And we're covering that in prayer, too. Everything has to be covered in prayer. That's, we're not really at a place to say, but very quickly, and as I said in the email Friday, uh, it's not really a good time to have a meeting. And, you know, it's hard to have a meeting, get all the church together anyway, but we're going to have to do that soon because we're going to have something to report to you real soon. But until then, keep praying. I want to remind you what we're praying, okay? I want to remind you what we're praying. Revelation chapter 3. Remember, uh, we're praying from verse 7 and 8. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door. God has placed before an open door. So we're praying, God, open the door you want us to walk through. Close the doors you don't want us to walk through. Give us wisdom and obedience to not bust the door down or, and to walk through the ones we're supposed to walk through. Because what we're really praying is, God, you choose the next place because you know the future. You choose it, God. And then from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in our prayer, we're battling. And listen, we've had some battles. For, for over two years, we've been looking for, for property, for another location. And uh, we face some battles. We, we, we've got one that's uh, it's still, still on the board. It's still on the table uh, that, you know, we faced opposition. And so we're, we're praying, and that's how we fight our battles, through prayer. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension. Oh, I wish I could preach there a moment. Arguments and pretensions. We demolish arguments and pretensions that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we're praying God demolish strongholds, Arguments and pretensions. We're praying, uh, bring every thought to bring, we're praying to bring every thought captive to the will of Jesus Christ. Your thoughts, my thoughts, the community's thoughts, anybody's thoughts that wants to stand in the way, not in our way, but in the way of what God wants to do. And we're praying God's sovereign will over Church 2911 and our families. That's what we're praying. Don't forget this. Join me in this. I'll bring these back to you at the very close. We're going to pray. That's what we're going to pray at the end of this today. But we're not praying it about a building, okay? It's not about a building, but that's what gets, on our, 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 gets foremost in our mind. That's what we're thinking about is the building. It's about a building, a building, a building, and everybody wants to know about the building. Yeah, we've got to have a building, but the building is not the important thing. But because of the building, things are about to change. Things are going to change. 
you're going to have to find a new favorite seat in the sanctuary, you know? You know we get, you're going to have to find, you're going to have to find a new favorite parking place. If you've been coming here a year or two, you know, you've been pulling up that same one, you're going to find a new one. Uh, you, you know what? The coffee's probably going to be in a different place than it has been for the last couple of years, you know? So when you come in the door, you may not turn left to go and say, find your coffee. You might have to go somewhere else. So it, things are going to change, little things and big things too. Big things are going to change. And we have to deal with the change. Life changes. And, and, and every time a new person comes to the church, the church changes a little bit. Ten people come to the church, church changes a little bit more. 20 people come, the church changes more and more and more. Change happens, and we have to deal with the change. And sometimes it's not fun to deal with the change. It's, change is sometimes scary, isn't it? Well, let me, let, me let me tell you about someone, I think probably in the Bible, this, this is my estimation, is he dealt with change more than anyone ever had because of the, because of the dramatic state of, of, of where they were and where they got to and where they had to go and about all the junk in between. Uh, Somebody that dealt with change, I think more than anybody else, probably even after the Bible's had to, but definitely in the Bible, is Joshua. Okay, and uh, I don't have time to read you a lot of scriptures. I'm going to bring just a few scriptures, but I mean, there's his story. Basically, uh, you can get most of his story just right there. And if you want to write that down and study those a little later in Joshua one through twenty-four, that's the book that's after you know named after him. So that's like really the rest of his life story. But he had to deal with, how do you deal with change? Here's the thing is, is, he had all these people that had grown up in Egypt, and yes, they were in slavery, and God said, I want, you, I want you out of here, I've got a place for you, an awesome place, it's a promised land. I gave it to your, your, your uh, ancestors, I gave it to you generations ago. I want, you, I want you out of slavery and back to this. So they start over there, but then all of a sudden people say, man, it's a long ways over here. And I think God's lost because we're just kind of wandering around and we're not making, and, and they begin complaining. And they start wanting to go back to something they know is bad, but sometimes something you know that is bad is better than something you're not sure is good. That's where they were. And, and so how, do, how does a leader deal with that? Because you're looking, and, and you know, just like this morning, I can't say, this is where we're going to be in four months. This building, right, da 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 i tell you where it's at, because I can't tell you that today. How do you deal with change? How do you lead change when you got to tell people, God's still on the throne. He's in control. Even though you can't see what it looks like yet, it's still all right. How do you do that? And, and you know what? I find, I find a lot of inspiration from Joshua. Because Joshua, he had, he had to look in their eyes and them saying, I know you're saying we can't go back to where we were, but how do we go forward because we don't know what it looks like? Can I tell you something? When they first came out of Egypt, God said, Joshua, or, or actually spoke to Moses, said, Moses, I want you to send 12 men. 12 men, and Joshua was one of them. I want you to send them over to explore the land and come back. And when they went, and, and for 40 days they explored the land, they looked at this promised land that God had said, this, this is your land. They went and looked at it, and then they came back. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they gave a good report, saying, man, we can, this is awesome. We can do it. It's awesome. But the other 10, they said, oh, man, it's too big for us, and we can't do it. And they had a, a negative attitude. Do you know why Joshua... When Moses passed away and Joshua became the leader of these people wandering through the wilderness and led them into the promised land, you know why Joshua could look into their faces when they said, but we don't know what this looks like? Joshua said, but I do. He had already seen the future. He had already seen the promise. He had explored it for 40 days. God had wa walked him through the land for 40 days. He had seen the promises. He had seen, and you know what? That's where I'm at today. I'm looking at you. I want you to know something. I've seen the future. 
I've seen the future. I've seen what God is going to do. And I, and I don't mean in some, some weird spiritual way, even though there's a lot of stuff at God. I've been up since 5.30 this morning. You know, I've been making lists, and I've been making lists of you. It's like God's been laying people on my heart, and I've, I've been making lists of you and, 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 and people that have, have passion inside of them. And some of them I was putting down, and I said, God, you know, I see that. But other people, if I show them this list, they'll say, that person, person's not passionate. But I'm looking, I say, oh, yeah, I see the passions there. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. It's like, like Halloween. You remember when we went, that was a God thing that we took our Halloween event up to the IGA building in Kimberly. And then it rained, and we had to move the thing indoors, right? That was a God thing. We were the only party in town. You know, if you wanted to do something on Halloween, you pretty much had to come to our thing because, I mean, everything else was rained out because of the bad weather outside. It was amazing. And, and, and I know you saw that, and you saw, man, uh, we had men standing in the rain for three hours helping people find a parking place. You know, we, we had men standing out and grilling hot dogs. And grilling hot dogs, and grilling hot dogs, and grilling hot, you know, and, and we kept sending people back and forth to the store. We had people inside the building standing on their feet on that concrete floor for hours, you know, and, and helping little kids in and out of those inflatables and giving out candy and all. It was, that, all that was awesome, but that wasn't the most awesome thing. Let me tell you what the pastor said. Let me tell you what a, a Joshua spirit saw. As I looked in, and I saw you guys were impacted because you were pouring in and you were, you were reaching people and blessing people and loving on people. And it impacted you. You said things out. I don't even know if you remember what you said. But you said things afterwards that showed me that the heart, the passion, the drive, the call, the vision that God has given 2911, it hadn't gone anywhere. It is right there deep in your heart. And I saw that in you this past Halloween. Again, I saw it this, this month as you kept coming to me and said, Pastor, do we have anybody in the church that needs help at Christmas? And you know what I was able to tell? Thank God. You know what I was able to tell everybody that asked? Nope, we don't have anybody in our church. We've always had to help somebody in the church. But thank God. I mean, we're, we're blessed. Uh, people that were without jobs. I called one family in our church that, that, that they, uh, they're in need of a job in their family. Uh, one's without a job. And I said, how are you doing for Christmas? And they said, Pastor, you just won't believe it. I, I don't even understand it. But it's like just the work just comes as I need it. I don't have that job yet, but it's just coming. And, and my needs, and he said, he said, we are going to be fine for Christmas. We are going to be blessed for Christmas. And say, wow, what a wonderful blessing. And so, so then we started looking outside the church. I started putting out feelers. I started asking people. And, and I know we helped at least seven families outside of this church. And, and you know, I didn't have to do it. Me and my wife, man, we've pastored several churches. A lot of times we had to go to Kmart or Walmart and buy the stuff, you know, and wrap it up and take it. We didn't have to do it. You did it. You kept coming back and say, is there anybody else? And anybody else? I think we, we sent $600 of, of, uh, of gift cards to to Toys R Us gift cards to uh, Abounding Grace Ministries in the east, uh, uh, lower east side of New York City that, that, that you gave. We didn't write a check. You guys gave that money and did that. What I'm telling you is this is the future that I see. I see in your hearts that God still has a drive inside of you to bless people, to reach people, to want. And so, so when I tell you, hey, it's an exciting future, I'm telling you because I'm seeing it. Just like Josh, I'm seeing it. I see what it looks like. Because here, here, But here's the thing we got to do is we've got to make sure we don't get tunnel vision about a building. Now, we've said around here a lot. We hadn't said it a lot lately because, you know, we've done a lot of work on this building. But, man, we said it a lot in the early days. We refuse to be defined by our building. Have you ever heard me say that? We refuse to be defined by our building. Can I tell you something? We still have to do that. 
We, we still cannot afford, and I, I know I say the church is not defined by we need to make that definitive. We cannot be defined by our, we decide, we cannot be defined by our building. You see, there are churches that if I were to call their names, you would immediately think about a building somewhere. That's what you would think about that church. You'd think about a building. And, and if we're not careful, you know, uh, we're not asking somebody to give us a 2,000-seat cathedral or something like that, you know. And, but if they did, you know, we'd take it and we'd figure out how to make it look like 2911, right? Uh, but we're not asking for that because I know what happens in a lot of churches is they move into a different building and they become a different church. We cannot afford to allow that to happen because our calling is not based on brick and mortar. Our calling is not based on what it looks like. Our calling is based on the heart of God that he has given us, the call that he has given us to reach in, into, into our communities and to reach the unchurched. That's our vision statement, is to engage the communities with the love of Jesus Christ. And guys, I see that happening with you. And, and, and sometimes I think, man, we got to find another excuse to get these people out the doors. I said it last week, and I was really wanting to save it till this week. Is I just want to tell you, again, you guys blow me away. Every time we, 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 we push you out the door and get you out the door and we connect you with the community in some way, you just blow me away. I'm so honored and excited to be your pastor. But it's because of the vision that God, the heart that God, and we've got to make sure that we don't lose that. You say, I'm not talking about that, that the next building needs to reflect who we are as far as looks. I mean, by what ministry we do coming out of that building on a Sunday morning. Because this is an hour and 15 minutes. We might do a little longer, you know, when we don't have to have three services. But it's an hour and 15 minutes. That's not who we are. You can't define us by the hour and 15 minutes that we are here to get. This is just what? You know it, right? You've heard me say it a lot lately. This is just the beginning. This moment is just the beginning of what God is going to do through us the rest of the week. We cannot afford to allow ourselves to be defined. Our next space must reflect our vision, and it will if we do. And let me tell you this. See, a lot of especially those people out there in the world, they believe that church is all about Christians. Can I tell you, church is not about Christians. Church is Christians. That's what church is. Church is Christians sacrificing so someone else may know Jesus Christ. That's what church is not about us. Church is us. We are the church. <laughs> and we're the church that sacrifices. And, and, and think about it. It's, again, this is all about calling and heart and passion and dream and vision. Why in the world would somebody get up on a Sunday morning and get, you know, get their kids out of bed? And, you know, we, uh, uh, Lindsay showed up this morning again and she, she had extra kids with her all, all by herself. You know, coming across that parking lot with, with uh, I think about five, maybe six kids. I asked her when she got in if she had her own CDL. She needed it to drive a, drive a bus, right? So, uh, you know, and why, what makes somebody want to get up in the morning and, and come to a church like this and say, this is the kind of church? You know what? It's hard. It's passion. It's drive. You don't come to a church like this where the pastor says, you have something awesome to do for God, and you better get busy about it. You don't come to a church like that unless you've got the heart. Because if you don't have the heart, you'll say, I don't really want to be a part of a church where the pastor's always pushing me to do something for God. You go find somewhere else. And listen, this is very well thought. I've thought this out a lot. Before. I don't say this flippantly. 
But I am serious. If this church doesn't float your boat, go find the one that does. Go find the one that makes you so passionate that you've got to get up and go to work and tell everybody at work about it. That you've got to get to school and tell everybody at school that when, when you sit down at your computer or you take out your smartphone, you're texting, tweeting, you're posting social media somewhere about something awesome about God and about your church. You need to be, and, that, and that's, that's why you're here. Because God is doing amazing things through you. He's doing amazing things in your life. And now he wants to take that another step. He wants to take that another step. You see, here's what I know. The last thing we know, the last thing that happened in the life of Joshua, after Joshua chapter 24, the book of Judges starts. And in chapter 2, we find the last event of Joshua's life. Joshua, son of none, the servant of the Lord, chapter 2, verse 8, died at the age of 110. It's the last thing that happened in Joshua's life, right? Look, look what it says happened after that. After that whole generation, Joshua and all the people just right under him, after they had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Here's what I know. If we are not the church, God calls us to be. Listen, if we are not the church, God has envisioned we would be. If I am not the pastor God calls me to be, then there is a generation that's going to grow up that does not know God, that does not know his way, and that will follow after. The Baals were the gods of that age. They will follow after the gods of this age. You understand what I'm saying? I, 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 don't, I don't say that with pride or haughtiness. I'm telling you, if I am not... If Rick Hand is not who Rick Hand is supposed to be, there is someone that is not going to hear the message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the same goes for you too. If you are not the person God calls you to be at work, at school, in the community, at the ballpark, where everybody else is screaming and wanting to climb over the fence, you know, to strangle the umpire, you know, if you're not the person God has called you to be, there's somebody that is not going to hear the good news. Therefore, we must commit ourselves to being who God called us to be. I, I must, in 2014, more than ever before, it's going to take it. Because, because, listen, there is some opposition against our church going to other places. You know why? Because you know, they don't like me? No. Because they don't like No. Because Satan doesn't like what God has started here, and he doesn't want it to spread any further. But by God's help, by his power and by his spirit, somebody help me here. Let God make sure it explodes, it grows further, it goes more, and it will only do that by us being who God's called us to be. Joshua had another buddy. Remember me telling you there were 12 and Joshua and only, only two brought back a good report. The other one was Caleb. Let me tell you a little something about Caleb real quick. Caleb also brought a good report. Now, Caleb, in the, in the book of Joshua, late in the book of Joshua, it's chapter 14, late in the book of Joshua, he still hasn't gotten his, his, his part of the promise yet. And he comes to Joshua and he says, look, I was 40 years old when Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land. I was 40 years old when we went out and explored the land, Joshua. Remember that, me and you and the other 10 guys? I was 40 years old. Today, I am 85 years old. 45 years old or 45 years, transpired. He said, I was 40 years old when I first saw this land. I'm, 40, I'm 45 years older now, 85 years old. A lot happens in 45 years. Did you say amen? 
<laughs> you could live twice, right? Some of you over here. A lot happens in 45 years. In 45 years, another generation was born. In 45 years, another generation was born that knew nothing about Egypt. And, and, and all these older ones are saying, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. You know, we ought to go back there. Even though it's slavery, you know, I'm scared of the future. And these were being born. They said, but we don't know anything about Egypt. You want to take us back to slavery? They knew nothing about Egypt. To take them back would have been horrible. But Caleb, Caleb had seen their future. And, you know, and instead of hearing about Caleb's past, you know, of course, they needed to hear some of those stories. They needed to hear some. But they didn't need, listen, they didn't need to follow his past. They needed to be following the path of their future that God had laid out for them. You see, in the same thing, in the same way, there has been another generation. Okay, if people my age, a little bit younger and older, there's been another generation that has been born in this time that church has changed drastically since you and I began our walk with God. I mean, yeah, go back. Go back just a few years. And, you know, and, and, and some of these, they, some of these never been to Sunday school. You know, you start talking to them about Sunday school, it's like you're talking to them about Egypt, going back into slavery. Getting up another hour earlier to get to church? You know, I, it's a, why would I want to do that, you know? You know, instead of a small group or going somewhere, you know, and having, having coffee at Starbucks, something, go and just and sit and listen to somebody lecture, and then go into the sanctuary and listen to pastor lecture? You know, why do I want to do that? I mean, they're looking at us like, you know, we're telling them to go back to Egypt, to the, to, 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 you know, to the slavery and everything. Church, the church world has changed dramatically in the time that I've been in ministry, about 30 years. It's changed dramatically. I mean, music has changed. Has it not changed? I'm, uh, oh, and worship team, let me just tell you, you guys are blessing me. You guys are blessing me. This, this was so awesome this morning. And this, I mean, isn't this awesome? You don't tell us, come, come to my church and, and, and let's sing a hymn together. No, come, come to my church and let's sing something you'll enjoy. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not pointing fingers. But I'm saying, come on. How easy is this to say, come on, come to uh, our praise and worship is awesome. I mean, you know, even if you don't get anything spiritual out of it, you'll think it's, you'll think it's one of the best musical shows, you know, you've ever, you've ever been to. It's, it's great stuff. I mean, but music has changed, hasn't it? It's changed a lot. Choirs, you know, kind of gone away. How many, how many of you know, if I say Hammond B3 with a Leslie, how many of you know what that means? Counted three, four, <laughs> you know. I asked the worship team before, when we were praying before the first service, and I asked them, if I said, this is the word, incidentally, it is a music thing, okay? And I said, how many of you, if you would you know what I mean by Hammond B3 with a Leslie and two or three raised, I think two raised their hand and one said, oh, okay, I know what you're talking about now. You know, and, and, and they first thought I was talking about food. They thought I said Hammond beef or something. They thought I was talking about uh, you know, some sandwich or something. And, and they finally figured out what I, I think there was three of them. And, you know, and one of them was not our praise and worship leader. Not, one of them was not our worship pastor, Jamie. She does not know what I, and I told her, I said, you would have had a hard time getting a job as a worship pastor when I got started if you don't know what a Hammond B3 with a Leslie is. Google it later, okay? You'll figure out what, what it is. But you know what? Jamie doesn't, I don't need to tell Jamie about a Hammond B3. I still haven't told her what it is. I don't know if she went and Googled it later or not, but she doesn't need to know about a Hammond B3. She needs to know about what we're doing. Uh, you know, because, uh, and this is what Jody says, it's, it's right over here. All they got to do now is just punch a button. They're on the Hammond B3 with a Leslie. Boom, there it is. They don't need to know. They don't need to follow my past. 
They need to follow the path of the future that God has laid out for them. Do you know what, do you know what Caleb was doing in those five years? Actually, 45, but those last five years? The Israelites went into the promised land when he was 80. For about four and a half years, do you know what Caleb was doing? Because he comes to him at 85. Now, he's about 40, 40 and a half, appears, as we can put the numbers together, when they first go into the promised land. He doesn't come, this scripture I just read to you, he, he's not coming to, to, to Joshua until he's 85. It's four and a half years later. You know what he was doing? He was fighting everybody else's battles. He was looking and seeing another generation. You know what? He, he, he knew when he wandered around exploring that land, God promised him a mountain there. And he knew he had that mountain. And so for 40 years, he's wandering around waiting for... Everybody else died besides Joshua and Caleb that left Egypt because they did not believe God. So God waited until they were all dead. He said, okay, I'm going to take you two old guys and all these youngsters. And so they go into the promised land and Caleb, he's 80 years old. And instead of saying, give me my mountain, you know what? For four and a half years, he's fighting the battles for the other generation. This other generation, and there's, there, there's two of these I, w- I want to bring to your attention. There, there's two. One of them is this one. You know, they don't know anything about Hammond B3s, okay? You don't either, obviously, all right? They don't know anything about that. They don't know anything about Sunday school and those kinds of things. But there's another other generation, and that, that's a spiritual other generation that has not yet come to know Jesus Christ. And you know what? They don't need to know about that and that and that. What they, need, they need to look in the future and see. They don't need to be constantly told about, oh, how wonderful you used to. Listen, Mayberry doesn't exist anymore. But Jeremiah 29, 11 is still out there for everyone who loves and obeys the Lord. A great, beautiful, awesome dream. That's what they need to hear about. And listen, I'm talking to you guys too. Even though you're not 40 years old, I'm talking to you saying as soon as you know that your mountain is secure, as soon as you know your salvation is secure in Jesus, it's time for you to start looking to help somebody else fight for their mountain and win their mountain. It's time for you to, sit, to draw your sword and say, I know my salvation is secure. Now it's time for me to step on to somebody else and help somebody else win their mountain. That's what God's called us to do. That's what he's called us to do. Let, let me talk to this other generation real quick. Uh, I got sk- to skip something, and I'm, I'm just trying to decide what to skip right here. I got to skip something. Let, 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 me go to, let me go to Ken today. Um, uh, Kenda Dean, I'm sorry, she is a, a, a professor of, um, of youth, culture, and church at Princeton Seminary. Here's what she says. I'm going to tell you something just before we close this message. Teenagers, don't, don't, I know some of you are 20, 21, 22. She's talking to you anyway. She's talking to you anyway. Listen, teenagers know better than we do that when we ask them to be Christians, we are asking them to do a very dangerous thing. So many adopt a safe version of Christianity, nice people instead of people who love others sacrificially. Well, think about it. That's what you do. It's too dangerous to be a real Christian out there. And they learned that from a lot of us. Come on, somebody help me right here. I need some, I need some Caleb saying amen right here. They learned that from a lot of us. Good and nice Christianity seldom lasts past high school. You know it, don't you? You're watching it happen, aren't you? Since teenagers quickly learned that people can be good and nice without Jesus. They can be good old boys, you know. Without Jesus, you can be, you know, you can have a beer bottle and be a good old boy. Teenagers aren't afraid of risk, but they want to know that Jesus is worth it. Young people are going to demand that we, the church, be who we say we are. I'm not scared of risk as long as I know the Savior's with me. Teenagers, young adults are not scared of risk as long as they know it's worth it. Church, 
And you take it also to that generation out there that does not know Jesus either. You don't, don't just say that I'm talking to you about being that generation. They need to know. Show them that it's worth it. Fight like it's worth it. Pray like it's worth it. Work like it's worth it. Invite people to your small group like it's worth it. Show them it's worth it. Be who we're called to be. Who are we called to be? Who? It's all in you. You're, his DNA is just, it's just blowing out of you. It's all over you. Just be who he's called you to be. Can I ask you to stand? Let's come to the front. If you're a first-time attender, we'd like to close around front with a final prayer and a final song. You're welcome to join us. We'd love to have you join us. Just one last little thing, and we're going to sing a last song. What God has called us to be has nothing to do with a, with a building, a brick and mortar and boards and carpeting and that kind of stuff. That's not what God has called us to be. He is not as concerned. You know Israel? Israel used a tent for the house of God for 500 years at God's direction. He said, I don't care about a building. David came to him and said, God, I'm going to build you a building. I'm tired of you being in a tent. God said, don't build me a building. Your son's going to do that for me. I want you to be who I called you to be. That's what God's concerned about. He's not concerned about a building. He's concerned that you are who God called you to be. Because if we are who God calls us to be, it won't matter where we are. It, at work, at school, at Walmart, at the ballpark, Kimberly, Mount Olive, Morris, Gardendale, Fultondale, wherever you live, if you are who God calls you to be, it won't matter where you are. Ministries going to be happening. That's what, go back to our prayer scriptures. They're there. I'm sorry. Okay, they're there. <laughs> Our prayer scripture. I want you to pray this right now. But I don't want you, don't you pray this over a building. That's not what we're here for. We're not praying. Yeah, it, it's in there. But that's not what we're praying about. God, help me demolish the strongholds that are keeping me from being who I'm supposed to be. Help me demolish the pretensions and the arguments that come against me. Help me bring every thought into captivity, the sovereign will of Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, I pray your sovereign will over our church and our, so that we can be who you've called us to be. Go ahead, Jamie.